Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We always appreciate the opportunity to speak with our next guest. He has one of the most significant jobs in this country. He's the parliamentary budget officer. He watches over the spending of our money by successive federal governments, and it's not always easy to do. In fact, Monsieur Yves Giroux, testifying before the Standing Senate Committee on National Finance in March of this year, said, and I quote, there are mechanisms to prevent inappropriate government expenditures, but there's no guarantee all of these mechanisms are followed. So let's begin with that. Monsieur Giroux, good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's a pleasure to be back. How are you? Well, I'm doing just fine. I've given up on beer, though, so let's not... <laughs> I had to throw something. I had to throw something in for our old beer joke. And if you know people, some people are joining us for the first time. They have no idea what what it's about. So too bad for them. That's it. That's it. So <laughs> too bad. Yeah, too bad. You, you weren't here the last time. You just have to listen to some of the uh, the podcasts. When you spoke uh, before the Standing Senate Committee on National Finance in March. And you said there are mechanisms to prevent inappropriate government expenditures, but there's no guarantee all of these mechanisms are followed. Please explain, expand on that for us. Well, uh, it was probably in response to a question from a senator, and I don't remember what was the question because I've appeared a couple of times in front of House and Senate committees since then. Uh, but I meant by that that there are multiple mechanisms to ensure that spending is done appropriately, it's done for the purpose for which it was approved in the first place. So lots of these mechanisms, but there is no absolute certainty that they're always being followed. For example, it's always possible that funding approved for a certain item can be reallocated to other types of expenditures within the same department it's within the purview of Treasury Board, the Treasury Board, the group of ministers to approve reallocations of, of funding. And it's also in, under certain conditions within the purview of senior officials to reallocate funding from one type of envelope for a particular program to other types of expenditures. There's nothing illegal or inherently wrong with that, but it makes the job of parliamentarians very difficult to track spending for example, when they're asked to approve funding of hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for specific expenditures and to have during the year ministers or officials reallocate spending to other priorities. So it's very difficult for parliamentarians, MPs and senators to figure out whether what they approved earlier in the year was indeed used for the purpose for which it was intended. So that's essentially what I was referring to in that in that comment. Okay. Now, we're talking massive amounts of money at times, as you said, uh, millions, billions of dollars. And if reallocation of funding is going to be taking place after it's been announced or after it's been agreed or after it's been said, that's going to be allocated to one particular area and then it's moved around. Is there any mechanism that requires a government agency a department, uh, the um, you know the the group of ministers you mentioned, mm -hmm. is is it incumbent on them to inform what they're doing, the reallocation that's taking place? Yeah, well, it's it is incumbent upon them to do that, but I don't think they have any obligations to do that the moment they make the decision. 
um, they make the, these changes known when they table the public accounts, when the government tables its public accounts to explain to Canadians and parliamentarians how much it has spent in specific areas in aggregate, but also by line item in each of the departments and agencies that are within its purview that form this big entity that is the government of Canada. So it can be, it is usually months after the fact that we know these types of reallocations or changes, or sometimes the, the lack of expenditures. The government may well allocate $100 million for a particular initiative and never spend the totality of these amounts. So it, it happens quite regularly, which we call lapsing funds. And we know most of the time, we know just at the tabling of the public accounts, which for the year that ended in March 2021, so over a year ago, we found out in December what happened for the year, the financial fiscal year 2020-21 that ended in March. So we found out almost nine months later what happened with public spending because mm. the government took its time to release the public accounts. Yeah, so they have a lot of cover they built in for themselves. I'm sure CRA would be very happy if I did the same thing. I'm sure. I'm sure they wouldn't mind because they would charge you interest and you'd have to, to pay and pay some interest and probably some penalties. So I'm sure they wouldn't mind. Well, I'm, I'm sure there'd be a red flag beside my name on the, uh, on the uh, community laptop at CRA. <laughs> probably. Maybe more than one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, when we were between budgets, I remember you and I had uh, several conversations when it was two years between federal budgets. And there was concern at the time that you expressed about government spending without uh, accounting. So billions of dollars are being spent every week, and nobody essentially is being told where the money is going. I've always wanted to ask you, is that something that just happens uh, regularly, whether or not there's a budget, whether or not there's a majority or minority government, that governments just spend money without, without, without informing where it's going? It's very rare. In fact, when this happened, the government said it was because it, there was a pandemic and there was too much uncertainty to table a budget. But uh, so it, it, that was the first time it happened in a very, very long time, as far as I can remember. In fact, I don't think in my career I've seen that. And using the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty, which prevents the government from tabling a budget, was, uh, I thought, and I still think it's a non-argument, because it's not because there's uncertainty that you should not table a budget. There's always a level of uncertainty, and there was uncertainty this year with the war in Ukraine, which did not prevent the government from tabling a budget. A budget is a very good vehicle, among other things, to tell Canadians what the plan is in terms of spending. And of course, things change after the tabling of a budget throughout the year. That's why the government has immense flexibility to introduce new measures, cancel measures that were announced in the budget and so on to respond to these uh, to this changing environment. So the fact the government said, oh, it's too uncertain and we don't want to table the budget. We can't table the budget because of the fluid and uncertain environment. That was not a good argument. And no. the fact no, of the matter is the they tabled the budget during the pandemic um, in 2021. There was a budget. And yeah. even if it was uncertain or a financial and economic update, and there was still a budget this year, despite the fact that the pandemic is not over or was not over in April. 
Yeah, and all the G20 nations did not miss one budget. Uh, when we look at the, two, you mentioned the 2021 budget just now. You, at the time that budget was released, had concerns that the budget overestimated the impact of announced stimulus measures, the impact they would have on the Canadian economy. How's that turned out? Um, it's turned out that uh, we we were concerned, as you say, that the government was overestimated the overestimating the impact on jobs and economic activity we still we're still of that view but uh it's it's a bit difficult to track down exactly what happened uh, because of the fact that the public accounts were tabled late and since then there has been more government spending and more initiatives announced so it's very difficult to track down Overall, what were the impacts of the budget 2021 measures? Let me ask you then about uh, in March of this year, you expressed the view, and I hope I have this correctly, that the federal carbon pricing that's in place now is going to result in a net loss for most Canadian households. Do I have that correctly? Yeah, and I would say it's not a view. It's based on the numbers. It's based on facts. So, But, but you've got that right. Explain to us, please. Yeah. So we looked previously, we looked at the the cost or the net cost or, or the net benefit of households by income quintile. So by uh, by tranches of revenues, 20% in each increment. So the bottom 20% and up, up to the, 20, the, 20, the top 20% of income earners, whether they would be better off or worse off paying the carbon tax taking into consideration the rebate that the government is providing to to Canadians that are in the provinces under the backstop regime. And just looking at the carbon tax paid and the rebate provided to uh, households, we found that the vast majority of households were better off. However, that did not include the impacts on the broader economy of, of a slowing or a slightly lower GDP that would have on on households. So we decided to, now that our models are in our simulations are more refined, we decided to also include that impact in the mix. And we find that when once you consider the economic impact, so that means the slight reduction in employment in some sectors, the slight reduction uh, in investment income in other sectors, Altogether, that means that for the vast majority of households, the carbon tax will result in a net loss. It depends on the household income, of course, and it depends on the province. But virtually all income groups are worse off, except those at the bottom end of the income scale in in, uh, the four provinces that are in the federal backstop regime, i.e. those where the federal carbon tax apply. So that's combination of the carbon tax, the rebates provided by the government, and the economic impact. And it's it's um, it's one way of understanding the economic impact is, for example, if you're working in a transportation sector, well, because of the transportation sector and being faced with higher costs due to the carbon tax, it's likely to result in slightly lower employment in that sector compared to a scenario where there would not be a carbon tax. And if you're an investor, the returns on investment, so the amounts of money that your investment generates, is likely to be slightly lower in these sectors, resulting in losses of employment income, 
investment income and overall slightly lower economic growth than compared to a situation where there would not be a carbon tax. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, you've also, uh, this has been reported on quite a bit. You've uh, spoken about the costs associated with the federal government's changes to the Official Languages Act. At different times in our history, that particular piece of legislation has been a, a lightning rod for conversation across and debate across the country. What's the report? What, what are you saying about the changes? What, what's, what's happening? So we, we looked at the um, potential costs of a bill that's currently being debated in the House C-13, which would expand official languages obligations to some businesses, private sector businesses, in a couple of regions of the country, New Brunswick, Eastern Ontario, and other regions where there is a significant francophone presence, mostly, if I'm not mistaken, in Northern Ontario. And we find that most of these costs would be related to training for managers who'd have to support or supervise rather employees that are themselves either francophones or bilingual. And because because the uh, legislation would pay would put uh, obligations on managers to be able to supervise employees in the language of their choice, um, there would be a need to train these managers, supervisors, so that they have a capacity, uh, a reasonable capacity to supervise their employees in either language, in, in English or French. And we found that there would be one-time costs of about $240 million and ongoing costs of about $20 million per year to ensure that the, the language proficiency of new recruits and existing managers are maintained. There would be also some training for employees even though in these regions there's um, enough employees that are bilingual to meet the needs, but there could be a mismatch between specific employees and the needs of employers. So it would take into that, that funding takes into consideration the cost of training employees, but mostly managers to ensure that they are bilingual. Okay. And uh, I, I have time for this question. What's the impact going to be of the federal government's planned luxury tax for vehicles, aircraft, and boats. So the government plans on taxing expensive cars, uh, expensive boats, and aircraft for use for personal businesses or personal purposes. And we estimate the revenue impact of this measure to be about $780 million over five years. And it's mostly derived from the sale of expensive cars. So I hope you bought yours before the tax comes into into force. But we also found that there, it would be accompanied by a reduction in sales of about $2.9 billion over the same five-year period. So a decline in sales, and it's mostly um, boats, vessels that would be affected, strangely enough, based on the elasticity or the sensitivity of these types of uh, purchases to uh, an additional tax. Okay. I wanted to ask you what other issues keep you awake at night, but unfortunately, unless you can do it in 20 seconds, we're out of time. Um, uh, there's too much to keep me awake at night, but I take, uh, I take very good solace in knowing that there are informed Canadians like you and your listeners that are worried about these issues. So I, I'm not losing too much sleep at night. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. 
Have a great weekend.